This is a little unusual. The last couple times I've been here to preach, Charlie didn't have any idea I was going to preach. You know, you remember that? You had the anniversary and uh, celebration, and I talked with Jane, and sometimes Emily, and some of you all, and uh, I just jumped up to preach when he thought he was going to preach. But he invited me this time, and uh, it is uh, really good to be here with you all at Starnes Cove. My goodness, Charlie, your church about full. Ever? That's a lot of people. Uh, uh, <laughs> I should not have given. <laughs> I meant to give you a more proper introduction. I'm sorry, uh, but Randy has since uh, since we have seen him last. I guess uh, Randy has also. He was pastor of the Hamlet Baptist Church, First Baptist Church Hamlet, for almost 25 years. Almost 25 years. And uh, since then, uh, he has, in the last uh, several months, since I guess January or so, he has uh, moved uh, across the state line, which is not far from Hamlet, down to Chesterfield. And he is a pastor of the Chesterfield First Baptist Church there, and, uh, which is near to where their home is there, with, uh, where Connie's family lives. And so they live there at that home in Sherall, South Carolina. So that's about all I was going to add to that. Yes, it, it was a, a great honor to be here to share in the ceremony last night for Josh and Jackie. I just felt so pleased that, that Josh would want me to come and, and officiate the ceremony so his dad could be his best man. So uh, for once, Charlie and I, we got to share in a wedding ceremony together, didn't we? And that was, it was nice. It was a beautiful evening. And I've done you know, a number of weddings being pastor for about, I think, about 38 years now. The thing I, I, I've come to understand over the years is that uh, the promises matter. That's, that's when we gather for those times. Uh, the promises really matter, don't they? And we celebrate our anniversaries. You know, the promises. It's all about the promises. And so uh, that was a sacred, special moment for me to share with Josh and Jackie and Charlie and Jane and have Connie and I here uh, I just felt really honored, and it was such a sacred, special moment. And now I'm very pleased to have the chance while I'm here to preach again at Starnes Cove Baptist Church. And As Charlie mentioned, uh, we've made a major, major change in our life since I have seen you last. Uh, at the end of the year last year, uh, actually in, um, I guess, uh, November, I tendered my resignation at uh, First Baptist Church of Hamlet after 24 and a half years. Not something you do without a lot of thought and prayer. Uh, very hard thing to do. Uh, so I'm in love with those folks, just like I know Charlie loves you all. But I, I, I just felt like it was what God was leading me to do. And we have uh, moved to Connie's home place where her mom and daddy lived. And uh, Charlie and Jane visited there many, many years ago, back when we were in school. And so we've gone back home to the home place. And Connie's sister lives just down the hill, maybe 100 yards. We're next-door neighbors to her. Uh, her brother is just across the road at what we call the Old Pond, almost a stone's throw. So we're all there together. And uh, during that time when I was thinking about moving to the home place that her mom had warned us to live in one day uh, before she passed away, uh, the church in Chesterfield was open without a pastor, which is where my sister-in-law goes to church. And so uh, the way I ended up at Chesterfield Baptist Church was by giving my sister-in-law a resume and uh, 
The rest is history. And I thank God for the time we've had there now, nine months. And people have been very receptive to us, and God has blessed the church. We've, we've grown uh, some and seen some people come to be baptized. So uh, it has been a vindication of a very difficult decision that I, I'm quite convinced we are where we're supposed to be, where God wants us to be. And I'm glad I'm here. This is like my church home away from home, if that makes any sense to you all. I, I just think uh, very few pastors have ever had the privilege, I think, to have a connection with another church that was not the church they pastored. And that's because of your relationship with Charlie. And I, I thank you that, that you include Connie and I in this special relationship too. This morning, I want to preach to you from the book of Acts. And I invite you to open your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 19. I'd like to read verses 11 through 17. I've entitled this message, The Real Thing. Uh, Acts 19, 11 through 17. And I'm going to read this morning from the New International Version of the Bible. Acts 19, beginning with verse 11. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul, so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick, and their illnesses were cured, and the evil spirits left them. Some Jews went around driving out evil spirits and tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and I know about Paul, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear. The name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. May God bless this reading of His Word. When I was just a kid, I had a group of guys that I liked to play basketball with. Uh, This time of the year on into the fall, and even into the wintertime, when it was sometimes very cold, uh, we in the afternoons after school, and sometimes on the weekends, we would gather around a, a basketball goal at what was the old Calpins Elementary School. Uh, have one of those basketball goals, Charlie, with a metal net, on that, you know, the chain link netting. Uh, the, the court was made out of uh, just beaten down red dirt, red mud that had gotten hard, and uh, we'd, play, we'd play basketball there. A lot. One of the best players, of course I was probably the best, but one of the best players, uh, uh, that's, that's not true, one of the best players was a fellow named Ricky Revels, and as uh, far as I know he's still living back in Cowpens. Ricky was not particularly tall, he was not particularly fast, but there was one thing at which he was expert. The head fake. The head fake. No matter how many times he did it, it always worked. 
He'd give a little head fake. We'd jump up in the air. And he'd wait till we started right back down. Then he'd just plop the ball in, usually a layup. You know, or he always made the shot. You would think after a while, some of us would have figured out what he was doing. We knew what he was doing. But we couldn't stop him. He'd dribble around, dribble around, and he'd just stop, and then, boom, do that little thing like that. And we all go in the air, and he'd just drop it right in. The head fake. It was maddening. Charlie and I used to play a lot of one-on-one games, too, when we were in seminary. In seminary and uh, Charlie didn't use the head fake. He just used the uh, grind you on down and push you and shove you and knock you around and just throw it over your head. You still do that, Charlie? Uh, no. no. <laughs> it worked real well with me. I barely weighed over 100 pounds back then. I, I, uh, but anyway, Ricky Revels had the head fake. Now, there are other people who are head faked in various ways. A lot of ways in life you can be head faked. Bob Goff writes of a day when he was head faked. You may not be familiar with Bob Goff, but uh, some of you maybe later in the day when you have time, you might like to go on your computer and go to YouTube and look up this guy named Bob Goff. He's a lawyer uh, who's a dedicated Christian. and He has an interesting, most interesting story about how he got into law school. I don't have time to share it today, but you can find it on YouTube. Uh, he has done a great deal of mission work in Uganda and actually was a governmental representative to help the people of Uganda. All this is developed out of his Christian faith. He is quite an unusual character, to put it mildly. Let me share this experience he had on a day he got head faked. This is from his book entitled Love Does. If you'll pardon me, I'm just going to read a brief section from his book and you'll understand why I'm sharing it. He says, on the first morning, I stood in front of the refrigerator with the door wide open like my teenage boys do, as though they are watching a movie, a very cold and expensive movie. I reached for a bagel and some Philadelphia cream cheese in the familiar silver-wrapped package. Y'all know that cream cheese. He said, this is not the breakfast choice of a love-handle-shedding champion. But I spread it a little thinner than usual and thought maybe I'd lose a few ounces anyway. He's on a diet. Our family friend, Ashley, was staying at our house and must have bought the low-fat cream cheese this time, I thought, as I cut a chunk out of the wrapper and spread it like a veneer on the bagel. I took a bite, and it tasted terrible. I honestly couldn't believe anybody ate this low-fat junk. Any of y'all have problems with low-fat stuff? I have to try to eat it because of my cardiac condition. I thought, maybe if I put more of the fake cream cheese on my bagel, it might taste a little more like the real thing. So I cut a bigger chunk out of the bar and spread it on thick. I took another bite. No difference. It actually tasted worse. I took the second half of the bagel and decided to go no nonsense on it too. What the heck? If this stuff is half the calories, I can use twice as much, I reason. Any of y'all, I bet some of us have tried that. (laughs) I cut another couple of big chunks out of the cream cheese, leaving just enough so I could put it back in the refrigerator with dignity. There was no salvaging this healthy substitute. Every bite was as awful as the last. Sweet Maria, that's what he calls his wife, 
came into the kitchen as I finished force-feeding myself this lackluster breakfast. Hey, I said, will you please tell Ashley not to get this low-fat junk anymore? It's horrible. Sure, I guess, she said with a quizzical look on her face. Then she walked over to the near-empty package, inspected it, and started belly laughing. What? I said, confused. In a satisfying tone, the kind that revels in moments like this, she explained that I had just eaten nearly a whole bar of Crisco lard. (laughs) So much for his diet that day. He continues, Around the house, we call that being head faked. It's a sports term, he says, I guess, but we say it when we thought things were one way, but we got duped, and it turned out they were entirely different. And he goes on to say, Unfortunately, it happens to me in life all the time, and in faith too. It's the stuff that masquerades as a real thing, but it's not perplexing thing is, instead of putting the fake stuff down, our reaction is usually to put more fake stuff on and decide the fake stuff, while not that good, is good enough. So that's Bob Goff on being head faked. Now as he notes, there's a lot of head faking that goes on when it comes to faith and religion. Hope y'all follow me there. A lot of stuff that appears to be one way, but it's not what it appears. It's not real. Now let me come to my text, and maybe you can understand again what I'm trying to get at. In Acts chapter 19, we read of a group of brothers, seven of them, who were also adept at doing the head fake. Their daddy's name was Skevah. He was supposed to be some sort of a Jewish chief priest. But that name actually is not associated in any priestly records that scholars have been able to find. So who was this guy, Skaval? Maybe he was some sort of self-appointed priest who was also doing a little head faking of his own. These brothers were making a name as exorcists, casting demons out of people. They had heard of Paul in Ephesus. You see, Paul had been in Ephesus. He was there for about a total of two years. He was having a tremendous impact for Jesus on this city. The Bible even says in an interesting passage that we could talk a lot more about than I'm going to today, the Bible even says that people were taking Paul's aprons and handkerchiefs and using them. Just people touching the apron or handkerchief who were sick, they were becoming well. That sound like anything you've seen on TV? Give me some money and I'll send you a handkerchief? Now, I'm not saying Paul was doing something like that. He was not. So, the seven sons of Sceva decided to include Paul and Jesus in their act. They went from place to place, supposedly tossing out evil spirits. This is what they would do. To the so-called evil spirits, they would say, I command you in the name of Jesus, the Jesus that Paul preaches. 
It did not matter to these guys that they actually didn't personally know Paul, and they certainly didn't know anything about the Jesus that Paul was preaching. It just all seemed to be working pretty good for them. They had a pretty good deal going. Well, just think for a minute. I wonder how much confusion and disillusionment these guys were stirring up. I wonder just what kind of people were being left in their wake. These inauthentic preachers of Paul and Paul's Jesus. I wonder how many confused, mixed up, angry people they left behind. Well, one day, they finally ran upon the wrong fellow. I don't know exactly the nature of his problem. The Bible just says he had a problem that was attributed to an evil spirit in his heart. So the seven brothers again went through their spiel. You know, in the name of Jesus Christ who Paul preaches, may the evil spirit come out of you, they said. This time, the spirit spoke back to them. And he said to them, I recognize Jesus and I know Paul. But who? I'll throw in, I won't use the other language, but I think the other words might work pretty well, though that's not my language. Who in the world? I know Jesus, I know Paul, but who in the world are y'all? It's kind of spooky, isn't it? The evil spirit knows Jesus, he knows Paul, and elsewhere in the New Testament we're told that the evil spirits certainly know who Jesus is. And he had some conversations with them. We know Jesus, we know Paul, who in the world are you? And the Bible says those that evil spirit jumped those seven brothers, and in the way we might say it in the old days back in Calpens, they beat the living daylights out of those seven men. I, I know some of you chuckle. I can't help but kind of chuckle a little bit when I hear that. I, anybody might a little deserve a little bit of coming up. Those seven guys, I think, is okay with me. And the Bible says they beat them up and they were bleeding, and they ripped all their clothes off of them. They ran away naked and bleeding and upset. Again, sounds pretty interesting to me, a little bit funny. You have to understand, I, I feel like the Three Stooges should have got Academy Awards ages ago. But I, <laughs> I grew up watching them. This is one time the head fake didn't work. Bob Goff, that I mentioned earlier, he writes, God doesn't like it when people fake it. It's a form of identity theft, he says. I tell you this morning, and I imagine you agree with me, there are tons of people who will have nothing to do today with religion because they've been head faked by somebody. People all over the place. I bet you know some, I may be addressing some people today that you're not really that sure about church and preachers and religion, some of the stuff you see and hear because you've seen and heard some pretty bad stuff. Or maybe there are lots of people out there who just cannot stomach the head fakes they continue to see in this world. I'll give you some examples. They've watched some glamorous man or glitzy woman on TV guaranteeing that if you send me some money, you'll be rich. You ever hear of those guys? I hear them. Just send some money. 
Send me some seed money. You know, let's, let's plant a seed. And God's going to bless you. He'll make you rich. I know the way it works, don't you? Send me some money. Send me a little seed money and God will make me rich. The preacher, I don't know about you. That's the way it works. That's their head fake. Some of them have been working it a long time and some of them are millionaires. It just makes me nervous thinking what it would be like to walk in those people's shoes when they're going to have to stand before God someday. But there are a lot of people out there who don't have anything to do with religion because they've seen this stuff. Or they've heard some other people like this. They've listened to the messages preached to the huge crowds of people. Messages like this. Just believe. Just be positive. And everything will be okay. Just believe and you'll be a success. Just believe and you'll be well. Just believe and you'll never lose your job. Just believe and you'll get the job you've always wanted. Just believe and everything will fall in the perfect place in your family, in your marriage, with your children. And you know what? And, and, and I, don't, I don't mean to necessarily just you know, critique other people. I need critiquing myself, I'm sure, in ways. But you know what? There are a lot of people who hear that preaching, and some of them have read the Bible enough to know it doesn't always work that way. You can believe the Lord and go through some hard times, can't you? The book of Job's in the Bible, isn't it? We can be wonderful servants of God and have the whole world collapse on our heads sometimes. We can be loving Christian parents and have terrible things go wrong with our children. We can be faithful, committed partners in our marriages and have them explode sometime right before our eyes. Those things happen in the real world, don't they? And a lot of people in this world have enough sense to know when they hear somebody say, just believe in Jesus and the path will always be rosy and everything will be just fine. There are a lot of people out there who have enough of sense to know and a lot of them know enough about the Bible to know that's not the real world in which we live. And they think they are being head faked. And I agree. Or they have listened to the preachers and teachers who are so ready to remind us about all those certain kind of people out there. You know the ones, those kind of people out there that God just hates. All those people out there that God would love to destroy. And some of them hear this angry, judgmental preaching. And I know there's judgment in the Bible. Jesus got mad. Do you know who Jesus really got mad at? Church folks, sorry, church people, especially preacher types. You look, the hardest words in the Bible, some of the hardest words are spoken by Jesus. And when he spoke them, he wasn't speaking them to the, to the most terrible, abject sinners out there. He was often saying them to Sadducees, Pharisees, scribes, the religious experts. But there are a lot of people out in the world today who've heard people in the name of Jesus always condemning people, wanting to destroy people, and just tear them down. And they're thinking, is this the guy who says we're supposed to love our enemies? Is this the one who says we're supposed to share the word of God with everybody around the world? Why are these Christian folks so mad at everybody? Why are they wanting to judge everybody? And some people have concluded they are being head faked that maybe that's not the way Jesus really is. 
or maybe they are weary of churches who really don't want to be bothered and inconvenienced by people who aren't quite like them. I don't think that's Starnes Cove Church. I don't think it's Chesterfield Church where I've been for nine months now. But I know what happens in churches. Some churches aren't really that excited about going out and bringing new people in because they like the folks they've already got. You know, you know we, we got a, you ever heard us talk that way? And, and we have a wonderful, loving fellowship. You know, we've been together, we have our family, and we have our friends, and it's so wonderful and it's so good, and we all have these things in common. Sometimes we can get so comfortable in church, we do not want to be inconvenienced by other people who are not quite like us, or maybe have a lot of problems and struggles, or maybe are different color of skin, or different culture. And people look at that and say, well, are we being head faked if only certain kinds of people are welcome in God's house? And I would say they're right. Finally, and Lord knows these times have happened, and God help us that they never happened to us, Charlie. Maybe people have trusted a religious person, trusted a pastor or deacon or a leader, somebody they really confided in and looked up to, only to have that person proceed to break promises, shatter confidence, and have, in some cases, terrible moral failure that just completely destroyed everything they were attempting to do. There are a lot of people like that who are out and around. I love this pastor, and he let us down. He let us down. Or I had confidence in those spiritual leaders in that church, and they miserably failed and let us down. And I feel like somebody had given me a head fake. Preaching about righteousness and love and kindness and purity, and then boom! They don't even keep the things they preached. It's a... That's a humbling thing to be in a role where you carry that much responsibility. So all I'm trying to say this morning is there's a lot of head faking going on in religion and Christianity. It's always been so and it's still happening, isn't it? But let me say also, on the other hand, there is the real thing. Isn't there? There is the real thing. Thank God there's a real thing. The real thing, you see, does. The real thing does. It doesn't just talk. It actually does. The real thing does not apologize for mercy, loving kindness, and God's grace. Our God is a God of grace and mercy and love. We should not apologize for that. We should trumpet that to the whole world. If it wasn't true, where would we be? We'd all be lost forever. The real thing takes no pride or joy in destruction and harm and judgment upon others. Yes, we preach the gospel. Yes, we preach against sin. Yes, we point people to the fact that we're all going to die one day and have to face God. Yes, we do that. But we take no joy in people dying without Jesus Christ. It should be breaking our hearts. That's the real thing. The real thing... Go searching for broken and lost and hurting people. People a lot like us. The real thing 
is not a stranger to humility and repentance. He or she knows that they are not above doing head fakes themselves, but for the grace of God. It's easy to talk about the preachers on TV or talk about somebody that messed up over there. But we here today, as followers of Christ, don't you know every one of us have done our head fakes sometimes? We, I'm using the plural per first person, preachers, pews, deacons, teachers, we've all done our head fakes, haven't we? We all have fallen short of the glory of God. Let me tie this together. The Skavah brothers were frauds. They were absolutely frauds. They're not the last ones. But on the other hand, there are real believers, real disciples, real followers of Jesus. I think that's one of the joys I have experienced in being a pastor for 38 years. Yes, Charlie, when we work with people for 38 years, sometimes we see things that aren't very pleasant. Sometimes we have bumps in the road, don't we? Can you imagine this many people in a church living together? We have ups and downs, don't we, in sharing our lives? But the great joy to me in all these years is being able to say, I've seen and I still spend life with people who really love Jesus, and they're doing their best to try to serve Him. I'll, um, I'll give you a little example here as I try to end this. When I was a little boy, I grew up in church. My mom and dad took me to church as long as I can remember. My mom always went to church. My dad went for a time, and then he quit going. He, uh, he got upset about some things, and um, he had some struggles with alcohol too. Uh, but he quit going. I remember we, we bought a car when I was a kid. It was a used car. It was about a 55, 56 Ford white. I, I can remember all that about it. When my, my dad bought the car from a used car salesman who happened to be the treasurer in our church where I grew up. And I'm not trying to speak against You don't know who this man in is away, so it doesn't matter. The example's okay. My dad had this one great fear. His fear was that he bought a used car, it might be coming from up north. I mean, you know, no one, you know, and if it came from up north and you didn't know it, you had a beautiful car for a few months or a year, and then what would happen? Rust. And so whenever he was trying to buy a car, and we, I didn't grow up in a wealthy home by any means, uh, that was a big investment, even getting a used car. And so he discussed this with the salesman, you know, is this car from the north? Is it going to rust? And he assured him as much as I guess anybody could, it would not. So guess what happened? After a little while, it began rusting, and it rusted big time, and it rusted out. And my dad, you know, it preyed on his mind, and he kept thinking, this guy's a treasure in the church. And he told me a lie, and he sold me a car that wasn't what he said it was. Now, I, I don't know. The treasure might not have known either. It's possible, isn't it? I don't know, but he may have known too. Do you see what it did to my daddy? I'm not making an excuse for him there, but that's one at all. He never could turn that loose. That somebody who said they loved Jesus and was a leader in the church would defraud him out of a great deal of money. So I was a teenager and, and a young kid watching all this. And I was going to church. So as I moved into my teen years, 
one of the very important things that had happened in my life, because my dad was not going then, and he was regularly critiquing folks who did go, and was not always real you know, eager about the fact that mom was taking us to church. So as I moved into my teen years, I had to, I had to start asking myself some questions. Teenagers, you ask a lot of questions about things, and, you know, and I do too still. But one of the things I had to ask was, you know, what, what's this church stuff? Is it just a bunch of people who are hypocrites, like my dad says? Or are there people there who really love Jesus? And this is one of the most determinative things in my whole life is what happened to me in those years as a, as a young teen. As I looked around, you know, and I saw things weren't always perfect, but as I looked around, I found people that I knew in my heart. They loved God as best they knew how, and they, loved, they weren't perfect, but they loved Jesus, and they loved me. And that's one of the most important things that happened in my life that I'm convinced God used to lead me into ministry was that I came to a conclusion as a young, young teen that what happens in church is real. It's not phony. And yes, there's trouble and up and down. And we're, we're, we all have our faults. But I came to the conclusion as a young person that what happens in church is real. And there are people there who love God. And as I was making those decisions, guess what was happening? God was grabbing my heart. And that's when my call to be a minister came. I was 14, 15 years old when I was called to be a preacher. I can look back on it now and tell you that was real. Back then, I, you know, I was struggling to figure out what it was. But that was real. And I think I preached my first sermon about 16. But it all evolved out of the question, is, is church about a bunch of people doing head fakes? Or is church about people who are really doing their best to try to love Jesus? I came to the conclusion church, real church, is made up of people who are doing their best to try to love Jesus. I will say one more thing, and then I'll, I'll, I said I was tying it together. I really will. Uh, and uh, Charlie, you can pay me later. But uh, uh, you, uh, you have a pastor who's a real thing. I don't know. If, some of y'all know that. I mean, y'all, y'all know. You don't need me to tell you that. I'm going to tell you anyway. You've got a pastor who's a real thing. And he's the kind of people that continue to uh, build my confidence up in, in serving God and being a part of the Christian faith. That I know for all the times all of us ministers fall short, there are ministers out there who love God and are doing their best to lead their people and share their lives and give their lives for their flocks and for the Lord. I don't mean to embarrass you, Charlie, but I just think it needs to be said. He's a real thing. You've got, you got a real pastor here, don't you? And uh, i got a real friend. And I thank God. I thank God for him. So, if you've had some really bad experiences with churches and religion, I'm sorry that, like Bob Goff, you may have got a heavy dose of the pure lard. But there is a real thing. Thank God there's a real thing. So, as I close this sermon today, if you've never given your heart to Christ, if you've never declared your faith in Him as your Savior and Lord, I'm inviting you today to trust Him. Make Him your Savior. Yes, He'll bring you to your knees. And you'll find that life looks different from that vantage point. But I tell you this, 
with Jesus Christ, there are no head fakes. He is completely real. And so is His grace, mercy, loving kindness, and forgiveness. If you know Him as Savior and you've been following Him maybe a long, long time, I guess my invitation to you today is just tell Him, thank you. Thank you for being who you are. And as a member and part of this church, maybe you'd just like to say, God, thank you for our church. Thank you for our pastor. And maybe you're here today as a brother or sister in Christ who worships here and God's led you here, but for whatever reason, you've never, you've never united with Starnes Cove Church. Maybe it seems odd having a guest pastor tell you to do this, but I want to invite you to come be a part of this church family. I know a good bit about this church from my friend and from my times here. I just think you all a wonderful church. And I love you too. So if you're here and God's leading you to this place and you know He has, I would invite you to come and take Charlie by the hand today and be a part of Starnes Cove Church. May I close this in a prayer now before invitation. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege to preach. And thank you, Lord, for people who so graciously give me their time and attention. And Lord, I realize today I've certainly addressed some people who've been hurt by actions that weren't genuine in the name of Christ, in the name of religion. I pray, God, you'd bring healing to the broken feelings some people may have. And I pray as we come to this time of invitation, I pray there'd be a freedom, Father, for people to respond publicly and privately in the pews. I ask it all in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Amen. Billy, would you please come?